Welcome to Creative Distillation, where we distill entrepreneurship research into actionable insights. I'm your host, Jeff York, joined, as always, with my colleague... Hey, Jeff. I'm Brad Warner, and it's great to see you in this awesome spot that we picked today. Last episode, which you're, you're going to want to go back to if you haven't heard, because it's <laughs> absolutely riveting. Chuck Easley from uh, from Stanford as well. This is a really good episode. But we did that in the Denning Center for Entrepreneurship, where Brad and I work at the University of Colorado in Boulder, and also the sponsor of this podcast, I should mention, the Deming Center. And so we were in a conference room, and I was mixing cocktails. Uh, I was doing a really great job. Uh, Brad Ugh. and our producer, Joel, were really enjoying the... Uh, Negronis. What, Negronis I was mixing up. Uh, I went home, and I, I, I took the stuff for making the Negronis home. I made one for my wife and she said, man, this sucks. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, we are at Under the Sun. I almost said Southern Sun, uh, but Under the Sun is in lovely Table Mesa, Colorado, where Brad has just moved. Oh, yeah. So this could be his local watering hole. We don't know yet. Oh yeah. No, this looks fantastic. With the, I see the wood-fired pizza oven in the background and, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, and uh, a lot of beer in front of us. Great. So this week's uh, kind of exciting. Um, we are going to be talking beer with Matt Raleigh the manager here at Under the Sun. I, and you know what, Brad? What's exciting is, you know, the fall season is here. You know, this is the fall equinox. We're all yeah. very excited By the way, about my that. happiest time of the year, I love the fall. You love the fall. And, and another reason you love the fall so much is because we're going to be sampling today. I know you can't tell this just by looking at them. These are one, two, three, four, five, six. Six different variations on pumpkin beer. Manager? Matt, tell me it's not true. Six pumpkin beers? Six pumpkin beers. Uh, you know, <laughs> I know you're disappointed. We'll have to work on it for next season. I'm really excited. I'm really excited. Oh my God. I mean, that is a tradition Does here. Somebody I mean, you guys you have guys stout month this? and then pumpkin beer October, right? It's all pumpkin beer all the time. Yeah, we were thinking of changing the, the sun and the mountain sun logo to just a big pumpkin, actually. <laughs> nice. All right, all right. This is, this is right. dangerous because I don't want anybody to think that, like, Under the Sun only serves pumpkin beer. I just want to make Brad happy. No, just to clarify, we have zero pumpkin beers on as of now. Oh, you got me. I, I totally <laughs> believed you. Awesome. I totally believed him. You, you guys great. got me. Thanks, that's great. Man. I'm very, very uh, happy. That's awesome. my neighborhood so establishment that, that you came and this, through. And this will come into play later. We get, yeah, that'll be perfect later. Okay. <laughs> that's good. That's going to come up later. So <laughs> I, I, swear, I swear to God, I was gullible there because you would pull something like that. I, I would. I, yeah. I, told, I tried. I asked yeah. Matt. No, you, you did I great. Pumpkin beers. Anyway. Oh, thank you. So, uh, so we are here under the sun. Now, <laughs> under the sun is a part of the Mountain Sun family, right, Matt? Absolutely. So, and I know that, I know, like, the first time I ever came to Boulder, I was like, hey, I'm a beer fan. And people are like, oh, we got to go to Mountain Sun. So we went to Mountain Sun on the traditional location down Pearl Street. I drank a few beers just to sample a few things. Sure. And then uh, the next day thought I was going to die because I'd never been to Altitude before drinking beer. But <laughs> but Mountain Sun is like has a rich tradition here in Boulder. And I don't know if you guys know this, has a really rich tradition with the Lead School of Business Entrepreneurship Program. Literally all of our PhD students go there. We all love it. And oh, it's great. our gathering place. Yeah, so. you probably made 20 bucks. <laughs> I'm not surprised. I, I spent about five years serving at Mountain Sun pre-COVID. And I'm, I'm sure I recognize more than a couple of your Wait, I have a question about Mountain Sun. I, yeah. I believe I've been in there a few times. Uh -huh. Is it the place that says pay if you're, you're able to at the end? What we do is we have traditionally, up until COVID, we never accepted credit cards. Okay. We were cash or check only. So what it really was is we had a system called a karma envelope. So if you came in, let's say, you know, your grandma... Uh, you're taking out your son and his fraternity brothers to dinner on a sure. Friday night, right? And she whips out the Amex to pay for everybody. Right. And she's a little shook when you tell her, unfortunately, ma'am, we, we actually do not take credit right. cards. Interesting. Um, well, the way we would resolve that situation, we'd say, worry not, miss. Uh, <laughs> we have something called a karma envelope. Uh, we're going to send you home. We're going to take none of your information. Complete honor system. You're going to so send awesome. us cash or check back in the mail. Have a great evening. We hope you enjoyed your experience. Yeah, you know, so I'm from Chicago, yeah. and when I saw that, I just about <laughs> fell over. I'm thinking, how does this business model work? I'm from Atlanta. That wouldn't work. Right. Yeah, <laughs> no. absolutely not. Yeah, that's amazing. Were you ever stiffed? Certainly. Right? Certainly. But rarely, right? Rarely. And I'll tell you that when those envelopes came back, there was a nice healthy tip in them as well. I, th I think it's yeah, great. Sure. Well, hell, I remember this from five years ago. Yeah. And yeah. not only would there be a nice tip, but oftentimes you'd have a nice handwritten card or oh, letter you're just not. outlining, you know, how welcome they felt and uh, how 
one that made him feel that we had a system like that. What a way to connect yeah. with your customers. I think that that's it's incredible. Well, and then the other thing that I've always noticed, like other than you know being a uh, Grateful Dead, and uh, so Joel, here I'm going to discuss uh, Fish's last tour for a while. Um, <laughs> Let's so, do it. So Fish just played a phenomenal tour, people. I, uh, okay, never mind. Uh, so the theme, the sort of uh, feeling of people that would like like those bands would be perfectly at home, uh, and also the service. That's what blew my mind, like the level of happiness that people have. I mean, I worked in the restaurant industry for a long time. I've never seen people so happy to be at work, nor so willing to like just help. Like, I mean, you can be waited on by like eight different people mm. during a visit to Mountain Sun uh, Restaurant or here under the sun. And tell us a little bit, why, why is it like that? Yeah, so we call it a team system, and it's the fundamental principle on which our whole company is built off of. Right. The idea is that everybody on the team is responsible for everything. Nobody's above anyone else in any way. The payment is same across the board. All kitchen staff and all front of house staff make the same hourly wage, and we split the tips evenly between all front of house and back of house staff. Love it. So everybody Super is cool. expected to pull the exact same weight. Everyone scrubs toilets, everyone does dishes, everyone bartends, that includes the cooks. And sometimes we'll hop in the kitchen and help out too. That's awesome. And that principle, it means that we respect each other, that we have each other's backs, that when somebody gets you know, in the weeds, if they get double set, triple set, I'm going to be right there to help yeah, it's, them it's out. It's a team. And they're going to be back to help me just in the same scenario. Yep. By the way, since I've moved here, uh, this has been our weekend burger and beer hangout. Great. Every Saturday or Sunday, we're upstairs sitting outside on the tables. Uh, it's been awesome. Yeah, yeah, no, it's incredible. And that's why we've had like five people ask us if we need anything since we've been in here. Yeah, right? I mean, it's just, it's awesome. So, And on top of all that, if you have not been to uh, Mountain Sun, Under the Sun, or Southern Sun, but there's other establishments uh, outside of Boulder, right? Correct. There's five pubs. Okay. So it began in 1993 with the Mountain Sun Pub and Brewery on Pearl Street. Yep. Okay. Uh, then in, I believe, 2001, we opened up our pub upstairs. It's called the Southern Sun Pub in yep. South Boulder. It's a much larger version with right. a really beautiful patio with an excellent view of the Flatirons. Yep. It is cool. In, I want to say, around 2008, we opened the Vine Street Pub and Brewery uh, oh. in Vine Street in, in uh, uptown neighborhood of Denver. Oh, really? Well, there I have not been. Yeah. Uh, Vine Street is... Our primary brewing location. Okay. Uh, the secondary brewing location is upstairs at Southern Sun. Did oh. you grow out of the old place? Is that oh, what happened? Yeah, it's Mountain tiny. Sun is tiny. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Wait. The, so you were yeah. you were brewing on Pearl Street. We were originally brewing on Pearl Street, yeah. which, if I were to take you back there, would be shocking. Okay. Yeah, it's insane. Like, because I mean, you know, I'm not. I've never been a professional brewer, but but I was like a home brewer, or a beer judge, and I would. The first time I walked into Mountain Sun, and I saw there was like. I don't know, 18 beers on tap, something like that. <laughs> and I walked in the back, go to the bathroom and saw the brew house. I'm like, how the hell are these guys? And, and nobody was brewing at the time. So I'm like, how are they doing that? Like, it's wild. It's and that's not even to mention the logistical, you know, <laughs> options that come with having to get things on the Pearl oh, Street yeah. and those alleyways oh, yeah, and dealing with all that. So yeah. we opened Southern Sun in 2001 and that became our brewery. Uh, now it's our second largest brewery. Vine Street is the largest one. Okay. And that's where we're currently doing all of our brewing. And then we opened this place and I want to say like 2011, 2012. Yeah, it was right after I moved uh, here. And for those uh, listening to the podcast, this place is immediately underneath Southern Sun. This is really cool. In the same right. building. So Whoa. Southern Sun's on top, under the sun, down and below. I, and I don't know if this is the driver behind but basically a lot of times you can't get into Southern Sun. Like, because it's just <laughs> packed. Yeah. And sometimes you can't get into either of them. But this, at least, you know, you can come down here and it's another option. It's also, I always felt that the atmosphere here was uh, a little more tranquil. Like, this is where I come for, like, business meetings. And mm -hmm. Southern Sun's where I go to, like, hang out with a bunch of people and celebrate something. The way the we time. sort of like to look at it is two unique rooms in the same great home. Yep. Yep. So, I yeah, we, there is a... A intentionally different vibe down here. Yeah. So back to your brewery though. So the brewery in Denver, does it just supply the restaurants or are you uh, available anywhere else? Correct. We do no distribution. Um, there has been some limited distribution in the past. I remember I was at a Boulder Theater show one yep. time and I was looking at all the, all the decorations in the wall and I found an article for our uh, very famous Java Porter yeah. bottled. <laughs> Uh, but that was, I think, 94, 95 was that article. Really? We recently did a charitable 
project with Upslope and I believe Avery, where we did oh, a mixed yeah. six pack. That was so cool. In That's support cool. of the South Boulder. Yeah, right. I mean, and for tragedy. our listeners, I mean, we are right next door. Correct. Correct. Yeah, yeah so we're in the same. Crazy. We are in the same shopping center. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's uh, let's taste some of these incredible beers. Let's do it. Thank God they're not pumpkin. They are, well, they, I can't believe they, I fell for that. Here, here's the here's twist: they actually are. Oh. <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, I don't. I don't even know. I had I had a it's nice like, relief for a it's while. It's just like Game of Thrones, but on a podcast, people they're just like twist within twist. Yeah. All sorts All of right. substitutes. Well, right, so where are we starting? Brad, we Jeff, we want to start. I say drink it like a book. Okay. So, left to right, top to bottom. Got it. So we're starting with what we call the Heady Bra Oktoberfest. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Happy October. Happy fall. Yeah. Happy fall. We just Happy tapped this on season. Saturday. Okay. Oh man, that's good. Awesome. Awesome aroma. Sort of like a grassy aroma, lightly toasted, mm. this, this lightly caramely malt. Absolutely yeah. European hops, right? For sure. Kind of imparts with that more grassy aroma. Yeah, get the um, like hollytaw maybe or something like that. Like really peppery, traditional Oktoberfest kind of hop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I tried to make Oktoberfest for years with like ale yeast, and it always sucked. Uh, people were like, no, oh, you can make an Oktoberfest with ale yeast, and like, I'd taste their beer, and it would suck, too. And then I finally got like a chest freezer and started lagering. And then, yeah. I have to tell you, Oktoberfest beers are great. I, I love that kind of seasonal. Well, maybe we'll do Oktoberfest instead of pumpkin beer. We can do that. Yeah, that'd be good. There's something that works about <laughs> Oktoberfest right? in the fall. It's just, yeah, because right, for me, fall's my favorite season. Mm-hmm. Just having it come around, food's good. Yeah, I'm a German, so I love all the brats and oh, all that other stuff. That was awesome. Yeah, What's next? It. Next up is the number one Belgian Chappelle. Oh, okay, so this is a Belgian So we're going to go with sour here, right? No, 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 no more no, floral. No. Oh, so I, I always assume Belgians were sour beers. I bet you no. can't do better than that. That's right. not, that's not I'm, I'm, You know what? You educated me over a couple I, bourbons. Yeah. Am I supposed to remember that? Yeah, you're supposed to remember. Right? So yeah, the most noteworthy <laughs> aspect of a Belgian like this is going to be Belgian yeast. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's going to give you a really floral aroma. Yeah. And you're also, if you shake it a little bit and get a smell, you're going to get oh, like wow. a hot uh, ethyl alcohol a little bit. And that's okay. Like in most beer, that would be like, problematic but in belgian beers that's okay because they're brewed to a really high strength i mean what's the strength on this man like I believe it's 9.1 is that the strongest beer you have oh no you can get much uh, much stronger oh can you i, I have no idea this one on the lineup yeah though. yeah sure yeah so this is why you see british people falling down whenever you go to brussels <laughs> so i would take number one over number two yeah i would take number two over number one Every day of the week. What about you, Matt? Would you, would you have when a favorite? When I first started, this number two, which happens to be called number one. Yeah, actually. <laughs> I would take number one. <laughs> the first. That was my favorite beer. And I, as time's gone on, I've, I've found myself drawn to the drier beers. Yeah. So I, I would go with that Oktoberfest, personally. Yeah. It's really, it's got like a really sweet aftertaste, too. That's Certainly. That's typical of your Belgian strong ales. Certainly. Very nice. I would drink a lot of that. Do you participate over. in competitions with these beers? Absolutely. We've won multiple gold medals at JBF mm-hmm. and plenty of other silver bronzes. We compete pretty regularly every single year uh, right. in JBF, and we've had a great deal of success. Great so my, American Beer Festival. Yeah, so my, so my son was a brewer, and I actually came from Chicago to the Great American Beer Festival before I moved here. Oh, it I is one of the most amazing things I've why? ever seen. Oh, my God. Why are we not doing a podcast at the Great American Beer Festival, dude? I don't know. we got to do that. Okay. we got so many great ideas now. I was just wondering. I haven't heard anything about it, so I, I yeah, don't believe it? they're when doing it, it. It's always in October. Yeah, it's, oh. yeah, it's October. Yeah. So it if the director of the Deming Center is listening, uh, Eric, we're going to be going to Munich, and then we're going to need to purchase like a um, VIP kind of situation, oh, oh, clearly, for the oh, Great American Beer Festival. Definitely, and we're definitely going to need a ride. Which will be easy and cheap to acquire, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. So uh, there you go. Especially One thing we actually do to help educate our staff is every single year we make sure every staff member who's available gets at least one free night. That's that's of, crazy. Of Brewers VIP access to JBA. Really? Yep. That, yeah. Every staff member. Every oh. single staff member. Dude, in the, that's cool. between all five pubs. You I don't think most people will understand what a big deal that is. Like you can't get into the Great American Desert Beer Festival much less. Like, oh no! I I mean I remember the line was around the. It's a huge building. Whatever yeah. that it, it was around the building. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's you, you know I mean it's, it's a half a mile long. It's almost as hard as getting a fish ticket. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Actually, I had three tickets for the anyway uh, yeah, yeah, so, so and i've also got uh halloween uh a lockdown but i'm not sure we'll see let's go with beer number three right. it's not called number three is it so this is the colorado kindale 
Mm. It's an American ESB. ESB. So Extra ESB. Bitter. Correct. But well, this is a very non-traditional ESB. Yeah. So like the traditional ESBs, you go get one of these in the UK, it's going to have a real uh, strong diacetyl, like butter-like flavor to it. It's part of the profile of the beer. This doesn't have that as much cleaner, hence making it American. At least that's how I would think about it. But Matt, you tell me if I'm off. Correct. Yeah, I mean, when we call a beer an American version of anything, you're dealing with American hops, which are right. much different than European yeah. hops in that they impart more piney, resinous, citrusy. There's a different... Uh, grouping of flavors that are imparted by American hops. And- so as a, a beer judge, Jeff, how do you rate number three, the ESB? Dude, I haven't judged a beer competition in like 10 years. Yeah, I know, <laughs> so, but it's still, you got the palate It's for fantastic. It. I mean, you know, it, it, if, as an American ESB, I don't, I don't know if that's a style or not. I don't, I think it'd be like an amber ale is what they put it in. To me, it's a hopped amber. Yeah, exactly. In, in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, all their beers are fantastic. I mean, yeah. it I mean, they'd all be like super high scoring, of course. I yeah. certainly don't know, but there may not be a American ESB style at uh, Great American Beer Fest. Yeah, there may be. I have there no could Like be. I said, I'm, last I'm time I did sure. was ten years ago. Hey, so There's Matt, so many crazy uh, styles. Does, does your staff ever have input into the style of beer that the brewers would make in Denver? Our general staff, I wouldn't say, has has much to play in that. We do include our staff and all areas of decision making in general but with the beer we have such a great brew staff that we let them handle that just do their thing yeah is it, is it fair to say is Colorado kind what you guys sell the most of maybe you know it depends to? on the pub yeah the majority of the pubs sell FYIPA yeah. which is actually next yes. that's the highest selling beer but our raspberry wheat or blackberry wheat is our highest selling brand down in Denver really yeah huh, huh. what do you make of that City folk, yeah, yeah, city <laughs> flat flatlanders down there in Denver. They, you know, they, like, hey, I gotta get a. Did I you just it. call Denver a cow town? Yeah, uh, no, that you call Denver a cow town. All oh, the time. I did. Yeah, you all. Yeah, it's the guy from Chicago is always calling Denver a cow town. Like, all right, this is good. Well, this is just like you know, to me, like the taste of boulder brewing yeah like it's right? just like a epitome ipa right great i'm still beer. partial to number one the oktoberfest mm. i mean that really resonated with me well yeah. i mean i like them all this is our highest seller so this is on tap all year most of these actually are or at least a few of them the last one is not correct this uh fypa stands for i'm not going to curse but f yes yes yep. ipa love it and yeah this i'll is actually our, remember that yeah, yeah. You guys, I mean, I don't know that you do one or not, but there's not a hazy on the table. You guys there's do not one? a hazy on the table. There is a hazy on the tap okay. wall, though. Cool. And I'll that just... was our first hazy we've ever done. Yeah, no, I was just wondering if, like, you were one of the, if you were, like, the only brewery in America that managed to not make a hazy idea. <laughs> we lasted until so about pretty. a month ago. Oh, really? <laughs> pretty that, good, That's though. as good as anyone's done, because, I mean, I know a lot of brewers are kind of, like, over the whole hazy, like, thing, but it's just so... People just want, I need a hazy IPA. It's like, all right, I can make it hazy. They're certainly asked for. Yeah. Yeah. Stylistically, we do tend to stick a little bit more to the West Coast IPA thing. And fish fans. (laughs) That was delicious. Mm. All right, so you you were talking about favorites, Brad? Yep. Mine's still number one. The actual number one. Oh, number one, yes. Only because I like Belgian so much. But I like them all. It's like people are like, what's your favorite beer? I'm like, I like all beer. Why would you have a favorite It beer? is amazing, though, the different styles, different flavors that you can get out of beer. Oh, and it? really is it's incredible. It's the most incredibly flexible beverage-like class of anything. It's yeah. interesting educating a staff on beer, and you're teaching them about all these notes that you're getting out of beer, yep. whether that's grass or, or pine or, yep. or yep. fruit or whatever, and... Once they understand that this is just simply coming from yeast and hops and malts, right. and none of those. It's insane, isn't it? In most cases, none of those things are actually in the beer. Except right. pumpkin beer, where you try right. Thank God, actually right. add the pumpkin to give it that great, <laughs> yeah, great pumpkiny flavor. <laughs> yeah, go to it's your fall. local Starbucks. It's Jeff. fall, dude. Okay. So this is a Baltic porter. Nice. Now that's that's not a style a lot of people make. This is so. This is a, a darker oh. porter. Well, that's good. But it's brewed with a lager yeast. So Whoa. it cleans it up really nicely. So good. This is good. Yeah. I like this too. Get down to Under the Sun and get yourself a Black Araya. That is so good. Yeah, what about what about people coming in just for tastings? Is that a, a large majority of your clientele? or? That was a much larger majority of our clientele pre-COVID. Really? Yeah. We do a lot of tours in business, particularly 
in our Pearl Street location, sure. which is not open yet. We just haven't been able to staff to the levels that we need to, and it's a very small, tight restaurant. Yeah, it's not ideal for any sort of capacity restrictions. Right. That restaurant in particular was doing a lot, a lot of tastings. Gotcha. And upstairs and downstairs, these two restaurants here, we were doing more when we were having a little more tourism. Yeah, so the locals know what they want. GABF week, right. we're doing a lot of tasters. And, right. then, uh, and then the most famous month of the year, Stout Month. Yes. Uh, I love is there a, such a thing? There is a Stout Month. Oh, there certainly month. is. Oh, I, I had God. to throw these last two in yeah. in honor of Stout Month. When is Stout Month? February, of course, oh, Brad. You don't know these things? No, I don't. Historically, February is the slowest month for any restaurant. Oh, so to combat that, the owners I and management long ago in the 90s decided, why don't we do something fun during February? So we made it Stout Month. We brew, I want to say... 30 plus stouts it's just for the month of February. Awesome. We have a ton of guest stouts from breweries all across the country. So good. And it's by far our busiest month. The one yeah. from the, what would have <laughs> been the great? slowest month it's to the busiest month. We're packed all day, every day. It's a total cult following. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. We had a big thing. Uh, people cut their hair into mullets. <laughs> we do a chop competition where the staff and, and many customers right. would actually grow the biggest chops they can oh, and at the, awesome. end of the, at the end of the year we'd have a big uh, concert at the Boulder Theater for charity and we'd have a competition for who could come up with the best character like Chop 3PO for yep. example and whoever won becomes Mountain Sun Royalty. How can you not love Mountain Sun? How, how creative is that? I mean that I mean, is I've been, awesome. I've been wanting to come here since we started the but, podcast. But, but, but so think happy. about the creative thinking about taking your slowest month and making it into your busiest. Yeah. Just with well, some, and making 30 stouts is what I'm yeah. excited about. Yeah, that's, that's a, an undertaking. Girl Scout itself. Stout uh, is my favorite. It's like based on the Thin Mint Girl Scout mm-hmm. cookie. Yeah. I, I just love that beer so much. Actually, I had this one last Stout Month. I think this was on Corova. This is a longtime staple here. Milk Stout. Ooh, that's awesome. A little, almost like a scotch-like finish on the back end. Like, it's like little, little yeah, it, these are different, man. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, nice got, sweetness come, on gotta, the end We're going to come back for Stout Month and do a podcast. I think we should. I'd love to do that. First. We had to push it to April this year. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. Okay. This coming year? You know, it's taking a little while to ramp up our brewing operations okay. and all that. And Stout Month is an all-year endeavor. So oh, yeah. we start That's brewing crazy. for the next Stout Month right after February. So, That's so cool. We weren't quite prepared, so this year it will be in April. Okay. That's fine. But we'll return to tradition. There's something about being down on Pearl Street on like a really cold, snowy night. Like a Tuesday night or like a really slow night. Well, it's still pretty crack because it's Stout Month. And going into Mountain Sun and like just trying as many stouts as you can. I don't know. That's just sort of a tradition for me. It's Glad means, to hear that, Jeff. It's February for me. <laughs> I, I agree. It's a, it's a nice warm building. I'm cheering up a little bit. Brad's not <laughs> sympathetic. If you cry, I'm going to cry. <laughs> no, it's like it's, it's a special thing, man. Um, this is fantastic, man. It Thank is great. you so much for joining us. Like, uh, so how, how is... COVID, like, have you guys been able to pivot out of it and be able to get things going again? Because we're always worried about our local businesses and trying to support them as much as we can. Honestly, it has been a greater challenge than we thought. Hmm. We have a lot of momentum and we're doing a great job in rebuilding our staffs. We're really grateful for the fact that we were lucky enough to own a couple of the buildings that we have. Right. I mean, we, we were around for 27 years before the pandemic and we had some serious institutional memory we had a really strongly imbued culture and we were really lucky that a lot a lot of us stuck around and a lot of great employees are still here to teach and and, and carry that forward but it has been a greater challenge to get staff than than we thought and training this many people at once is very difficult. Sure. When I was here last Saturday, there was a trainee actually with one of the waitresses. Yeah. Yep. We're really lucky that we have such a great relationship with our community and we want to do everything to support them. They're doing everything to support us. So it's a slower process than we thought. Like I said, two of our restaurants are still not open, right. the Mountain Sun right. and Vine Street in Denver. Oh, okay. So Vine Street's not open either. We're brewing there, but we're not open for service. Got you. Yeah. But it's still good use of that square, at least we, that square footage getting utilized. When so. you think of a, a restaurant like Vine Street that's it's quite large, yeah. you know, you're probably talking, I would say, at least 80, 90 employees to get that really going. Yeah. 
and we just have a little bit of a problem hiring five or six employees down here. So, yeah. so it's gonna be it's gonna take a while. You know what though? The community supports you, right? You, we all stick together through this and all the things that we've seen in the last year. Um, yeah. We're all in it together, and I think that every t every time that I drive by here, the community's still supporting you, though. Yeah. We certainly feel that. That's yeah. very palpable. They're here. We love them. We love seeing them. I remember the first few weeks of reopening the Southern Sun upstairs was joyous. Yeah, yeah. seriously. Everyone was really happy to see each other, be out back in the world, sure. drinking FYIPA. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It felt really good. <laughs> well, Matt, it's just been awesome this talking to you. Thank you so much. And thank, thank you, you for taking yeah. us these awesome beers. If you can hear this, you can get here, come to Under the Sun. Or Southern Sun. Or Southern Sun. Yeah. Long's but, Peak in Longmont. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I forgot. That's, that's the other one that's open. Great. Get to one of those establishments, and you will taste some amazing beers, and you will meet some of the nicest people working anywhere in Colorado. Uh, make sure you get out and support them. Thanks for having us. This has been great. Thanks, man. Jeff, this has been Brad, great. thank you very much. Oh, it's our pleasure. Thanks. Thank great. you. All right, so that concludes our tasting of beers here at Under the Sun. What would you think, Brad? Well, first of all, I, the, the community spirit that you feel when you walk in here yep. and just the personality of the staff, yep. Matt, and the friendliness, yeah. that's incredible, right? I mean, yeah, really. It really is, like, amazing. There, there's better service here than literally any brewery I've ever been anywhere yeah. or any restaurant, for that matter. I mean, and, 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 you know, it's a casual place, but you feel like you're part of a family yeah. when you come here. I'm just excited to be here. It's and awesome. you know that I'm not a sophisticated beer drinker. You are. And I, and I, You're becoming I you a though, sophisticated well, beer drinker. But coming in here and doing a sampling afternoon and that type of thing, that's a blast. Yeah, absolutely, man. Go in there, try some beers. And yep. um, so I highly recommend Black Araya, the Baltic Porter. Holy cow, that's good. Yeah, and I, and I personally am uh, all over the Oktoberfest. That's just, you like what you like, right? Yeah, I know, and that's fine. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so the one time I really didn't want Brad to read the paper <laughs> at all. Like, I really didn't because I have a special, a special, is this, join us today for a special episode of Creative Distillation. <laughs> Those of you there too, in the 80s they had special editions. It was always about some kid using drugs. Like, you heard this on Family oh, Ties. Yeah. And, I, anyway, yeah. so nobody's going to understand what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> I guess we should talk about the paper. So Brad actually did read the paper today, well, annoyingly enough for me, the day I didn't want him to because I had a special thing planned. So, <laughs> so Brad, why don't you introduce the paper? Introduce the, you don't have the title, though. I, I, I do not have I'll, the title. I'll do, I'll do the title, and then okay. we'll get your thoughts. Today we are focusing, this is a little bit interesting. So Brad, there are these things that we do. That we? That we, you know, we academics okay. do. We, because, you know, it's a special episode of Creative Distillation. I thought maybe fish fans. Because, yeah, or fish fans. <laughs> no, there is an academic conference about fish, though, we should go to, Brad. Nope, you're on your own on that one. Oh, my God. So there's a thing that academics do when they want to get together and explore a topic in depth called a special issue. So you have all these journals, as you've become aware of. Yes. It's very expensive. Yeah, uh, $49.50. Yeah, $49.50 plus tax and uh, shipping and handling. Uh, journals that are out there and what will happen is a group of people get together and say hey let's do a special issue um, and so when you put together a special issue you write an introduction to it and you review the papers that are in your special issue so these guys that wrote this paper we're talking about today are the editors of the special issue okay usually it's people that have published a great many papers and have some standing in the field and right. they get together and they say hey we're going to put this together we're going to edit they're often editors at journals but it's a special issue of Strategic Entrepreneurship Journal called Entrepreneurship at the Crossroads, Meta-Analysis as a Foundation and a Path Forward. And so the article we're going to be talking about is going to be talking about a bunch of different papers as an introduction to special issue. But the introduction, the editors are James G. Combs, T. Russell Crook, David J. Ketchin, and Mike Wright. And so uh, I'm going to try to make sure I mention all the papers in the special issue, but I may not, as you can tell. So I'll do my best. Uh, but if And I've taken notes, Jeff. Okay, I saw Brad write something down. That was exciting. <laughs> So, so go check it out. It, it actually is a really cool special issue. So meta-analysis. All right, now, now I've introduced the paper. What were your notes about the introduction of the paper, Brad? Because this was pretty entertaining. I so, so actually, Jeff, I read the introduction, which is two or three paragraphs. I have two items that I selected out of there. Number one that I took out of that paragraph. <laughs> this is quote, by the way. Okay, okay, Difficult yeah. for entrepreneurs to leverage academic findings. Yes. So you agree with that, right? How do you not agree with that? Well, I mean, many people yes. don't. I mean, I, so, so here's the thing. Like, I thought you would like this article because these guys are saying what you're always saying is like, 
Well, yeah, but would, duh. Yeah, but, but but most people don't. But you got to understand, Brad, a lot of researchers don't believe that. They think like, oh, this is just fine the way we're going along, just writing these okay, things. Okay, but if we can help those and, uh, people if, if derive some people, focus. Yeah, so yeah, I 100% agree I with this. I thought you would like that. That it's difficult for entrepreneurs to leverage this. academic findings. Uh, we haven't found that many academic findings that actually apply to entrepreneurs, but that's a whole different podcast. Oh, but, but, but no, no, but it's today's podcast. This is a special episode. <laughs> All right, so, so we got some feedback from the director of the Deming, Sarah, that we should have actionable insights every what's the cadence every 20 minutes three takeaways three takeaways and then I, one major action actual insight i do i got not one wait I, you haven't got through my second I bullet know, point no but then we were just going to skip that but go ahead no second bullet point right <laughs> okay, yes. much of what works in traditional organizations is likely to uh, work quite differently in entrepreneurial environments Yes. Duh. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, but again, Brad, these gentlemen that wrote this uh, paper and, and put together a special issue who you're not, you know, I know you're making fun, but, but really, I mean, they, they, these are really good scholars. Okay. And they, um, these are folks that have contributed all kidding a ton. Aside. Yep. Sure. Yeah, of course. And that's not taken for granted in the field of strategy. It, it, it blows me away. Isn't that crazy? It, like, it's it, not, it, it there is. are actually folks out there, and I doubt any of them are listening, but maybe, that would argue, yeah, entrepreneurship is just another, why would we need that? We have strategy. We have organizational behavior. Why is entrepreneurship a field? I think we scare them. <laughs> I actually do. Well, that's, that's actually, that, that's, that is a topic for a different podcast. Yeah. But okay. So what I want to do today, something totally different. Okay. Get ready. We're going to do a quiz. So rather than going through the insights in this paper, and they're all in there, Okay. what happens is there are five papers that are meta-analyses in this special issue. A meta-analysis simply means people go out and they get all the papers that were ever written about a topic, they put them together, they do quantitative statistical analysis to tease out insights from them that are generalizable. And I mean, you know, this is Is that great. mansplaining? You tell, what is a meta-analysis, Brad? Why, uh, you, why do we you, care about meta-analysis? Well, the bottom more? line is you take a very, very broad range of data, right. and how does it apply to specific cases? Right. But why is it better than, like, a single study? Oh, come on, because it's, it's not significant, right? You, yeah, you, yeah. Can have, you can have so many uh, variables with individual significant studies that you need a group of studies to Perfect. actually give you some sort of direction. Perfect. And, th and they took a little bit of a specific lens towards meta-analysis in this special okay. issue, where they compared entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial firms to managers, employees, and non-entrepreneurial organizations, existing organizations. Okay. So uh, let me get my, my buzzer ray here. Okay, so here we go. Uh, How much time do I have? Uh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. love that. You have as much time as you, as you Sounds want. Sounds like the submarine is going down. So, so, Brad. Yes, sir. Tell me this. Which is a bigger driver of success for employees and managers? Okay, so wait, wait a second. We're talking employees and managers employees of and large managers. firms. Yeah, of large firms or, okay. you, know, you know, whatever, however you want to think General mental ability or emotional intelligence? Uh, I would say number one. General mental ability? Yes, sir. Uh, actually, that's correct. Um, but I just like... <laughs> Um, anyway, okay. First of all, let me just say, how many managers have you met in large organizations with any emotional intelligence? Uh, um, <laughs> not, not many. Right. And, and usually they do stand out because they actually right. understand. That was it. a gimme question. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so uh, okay. But more importantly, uh, how about for entrepreneurs? Uh, emotional intelligence is the key. I uh, lost my clapping. <laughs> Yay! That's correct. Actionable insight. Actionable insight. It is more important for entrepreneurs to understand how to work with people and understand and have empathy for them than it is for them to have general intelligence. I totally agree. I mean, and I think that that's common sense. I hope it's common that's sense. That's not common sense, Brad. That's like, that's something. You know what? The, the people look at Steve Jobs and Elon Musk and say, oh, that guy's a freaking genius. Oh, yeah. Do you think Elon Musk has any emotional intelligence whatsoever? No, I do like it that he sw uh, smokes weed occasionally with well, uh, sure, of course. Uh, on like TV, that. right? I mean, that, yeah, All seriousness, knowledge. though, I actually push my students to understand that about themselves, to, to lead with empathy and understanding. Yeah. And if you and if you live your life like that, people will stick with you for forever. So That's true. It's actually probably good advice for managers. But here's what's interesting. The meta-analysis shows that general mental ability is actually more important for success for managers' employees. In they, a large organization. Yeah. yeah, and so this is a really, I mean... You know, I know we kid around a lot. So I have nothing useful. You kid around a lot. I think most of this stuff is useful for entrepreneurs and others. But, <laughs> but um, I think this is actually pretty useful because our students don't necessarily so, come into the so classroom let's, let's believing talk, that. Let, yeah, so let's just talk about a large organization. Is, is that a cultural issue? I don't know. They don't get into that. But I wonder if it's more that, like, 
Because there's an existing structure and path dependency all around you, and really to figure out how to succeed in a large organization, it's basically like, in my humble opinion, learning to play Survivor, which actually requires a lack of emotional intelligence yeah, really? and empathy. And you got to be ruthless. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whereas I feel like for entrepreneurs, if they can't relate to people, no matter how brilliant they are, I mean, we see this all the time with like oh, PhDs yeah. and like aerospace or no yeah. slam on aerospace I mean, but brilliant but, in their their lane yeah we have we have brilliant phds in chemistry and robotics and everything else at the university of colorado yep. and, and I, we bring them into our classes and, and we really need to put them together with like an mba right. not that all mbas have high no, emotional no, no, intelligence no. but many of them but a diverse do. team right jeff I mean, right a diverse team right so i think this is actually i mean would you agree that is an actionable insight 100 percent. okay 100 yeah. we got one you pulled one out of me yeah, thank you. I'll give myself a hand, too. All right, yes, okay. On to the next question. How does stress affect employees and managers? Is it negative impact on them or a positive impact on them? <laughs> Wait, well, first of all, we're still talking about a large organization, correct? Yeah, employees and managers in large organizations. Under stress, it, it is negatively affects them. Of course, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right? I, I don't have the clapping thing. <laughs> well, well done, well done, Brad. Yeah, I, I can't. I, this these is are how, underhanded pitches, this is how, guys. how confident I am. I can't make my phone clap. I can only make it buzz. <laughs> I do like the uh, Hunt for Red October buzzer, though. Yeah, yeah. come take a class from me and uh, a man who cannot make his iPhone clap. All right, so now what is the impact of stress on entrepreneurs, positive uh, or negative? So I would say, actually, for me, it was a motivating factor. But I, I can't speak for all entrepreneurs, but I'm going to say stress actually is a, uh, it's a part of being an entrepreneur. So I would say they embrace it. You're right, mostly. <laughs> mostly? <laughs> So, it's actually positive to neutral for entrepreneurs. Okay. So, you're right, of course. But this is interesting because the meta-analysis teases out some more specific effects. Heavy demands and long hours don't hurt entrepreneurs. It doesn't hurt their performance, as you would expect, right? They're putting more into it and they're the only person there. Uh, but it also doesn't hurt their well-being. However, role ambiguity does hurt them. So we've got two kinds of stress going on. One is just from working hard. The other is from a lack of ambiguity about what your role is. Yeah. Uh, but interesting, the role ambiguity harms their well-being, but doesn't actually harm their performance. Both kinds of stress harm employees So and actually, managers. I think that if you embrace uncertainty, I think you'll do much better, right? If, if you yeah. know it's coming, right, versus it creeping up on you and saying, I'm not sure where I fit or what I right. need to do, I think that there are methods to get around that to help you and actually make yeah, you better. Yeah, I think so too. I think what's happening here is related to a study. I'd love to get Erin uh, Powell on here at some point. She's an amazing scholar that does studies of entrepreneurial teams. I form. We'll, we'll get her on here. You'll really like her. Okay, great. But she did this study where she showed that people really get stressed out when there aren't clear delineations of roles as a company grows. I think you could train that into people, though. Yeah, yeah. early on, they're right. okay with it. But as the company starts to grow, and I wonder if that's driving the effect here. It's like, you and I start a company at first, hey, it's just Brad and Jeff's company. We're doing yeah. everything. But eventually, we're going to need to carve up tasks and ambiguity in the roles is going to lead to stress. I think that's I'm, why a lot of founders leave I've, their company. I've actually lived that, Jeff. Cool. Yeah. I, I figured you had. Yeah. All right. So you, I, I'll give you that one. Uh, you are two for two, Brad, just as I expected here. Question number three. Do entrepreneurs that receive corporate venture capital do better or worse? In terms of their, one, performance and exit, and two, technological innovation. So they, if they receive corporate venture yep. capital, first, uh, do they do better in terms of performance and exit? Performance and, and exit, yes. And uh, what was the second one? Technological innovation. Uh, I, I, I'm not certain about that, actually. Okay. Uh, fair enough. I won't buzz you for that. Uh, you're right. Now, here's what's interesting. If you look at this, there are like mixed results on the effects of corporate venture capital. And what the folks that do this meta-analysis do is they say, it's actually because you're looking at multiple dependent variables. Right. And so saying what's better or worse, it depends on what your dependent variable is, which is why we have mixed results. It turns out receiving corporate venture capital, they do better in performance and exit, just as you'd expect. They get access to companies with deep knowledge, deep resource, deep pockets. Yep. They're better build better form. They have a buffer. They're able to exit. That's right. But they do worse in innovation. And here's the theory why, and I'm sorry I'm not attributing this to folks. Go read the special right, issue if you want. This is interesting to me, actually, Jeff. Well, fantastic. I found something uh, that is interesting to you besides, besides the beer. Um, they do worse in innovation. The idea is, okay, so we have an innovative company with a patent-pending technology. We take corporate venture capital. The idea is that when we take that corporate venture capital, the company that's investing in us is not investing because of the company. They're investing because of our innovation, which they consequentially are going to focus all of our efforts on and then suck up and, and, and utilize. 
I, but, so but, I think it's very interesting. And I would say the takeaway for entrepreneurs is early on, when you're starting your company, you need to make a decision about which way do you want to go. Are you doing this for an exit, right? Five-year yeah. plan? Or right. is this something that maybe would be multi-generational with your family and those types of things? Yeah. And those decisions early on make a, a big difference and are quite different paths um, as you move forward. This is what I always talk about. And my guests, their venture capitalists, always strongly disagree, and we would love to have anybody from the venture capital community on here to talk about why they would disagree with Oh, me. I could bring a bunch of oh, VCs on. Oh, I, I know you could. But what I was going to say is, like, the day you decide to take venture capital is the day you decide to sell your company. That's right. I mean, right. because the, the five-year clock is going. You have basically decided that we're not going to keep this company going That's beyond right. a certain period of time. And we are going to have to sell it. And so that's something you really need to think about. And here's our actionable insight right here. All right, there it is. Every 20 minutes, we're going to have an actionable insight. There I had one. I didn't have the ding-dong going. Um, okay, so corporate venture capital is better taken by firms that are not dependent on their innovations for success. Because if you're really dependent on your innovation, the day you take corporate venture capital is yep. the day you more or less, I mean, I know that's not what it said in the NDA, and it's not what it said in the corporate, right. the, the college. you basically have decided to sell that innovation. And, that and I, I would say that a lot of times when you're talking and taking on VC capital, they already may have a match for you in their head. Yeah, right? exactly. Right. Especially in a corporate side. Oh, yeah. We're in the match. That's yeah, why we're right. doing it. So I think that's an actionable insight. I think yeah. if you're in a company that you know, really is not dependent on any potentially technological innovation or anything like that. Yep. Corporate venture capital might be pretty interesting because it might be. That's right. It might be the company's just trying to display. But, but you lose control like, that day too. Yeah, you do. Or a I lot mean, of control, I should say. You do. But if your goal is to exit, it's the right move. All right, cool, awesome. Brad is kicking ass here, <laughs> uh, just as I expected. I expected nothing less from him. <laughs> so. Question number four. And by the way, each one of these questions is based on one study in the special issue. Four, what is more important for driving performance under agglomeration? Right, so you're, you're familiar with the idea of agglomeration. I am not. Oh, really? Okay, I'm surprised. But uh, is agglomeration just a fancy term for a cluster? Okay. Like, you know, Boulder would have agglomeration in organic and natural foods, gotcha. renewable energy tech, okay. you know. All right, so what is more important for driving performance under agglomeration or in clusters? Supply side, skilled workers and knowledge. Uh, so the, the theory there being like, okay, because you come to Boulder or wherever and you're starting this kind of company, you got skilled workers and knowledge spillover. Maybe a university with a, yeah, a an engineering department. Exactly. Yeah. Or is it demand side? There's lots of customers uh, in that area. Let's think about this one for a second. Sure. I, I, I think it's a little, little of both. I, I actually think it's a little of both. Okay. I, I think it's more the supply side, though, if I have to pick one. Do I get buzzed? Yeah, here we go. There we go. Yeah, actually, no. Um, yeah, um, supply side. And, and, and by the way, let me just let me just say my reasoning though. <laughs> so, you're actually you're actually right. Uh, oh, am I? <laughs> yes. no, I was using Boulder as an example in my head. No, go, just, go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. They're both important. Yeah, of course. Um, but I, I do think that when you're talking about those early customers, you want those in your backyard. Yeah. No, here's what's interesting. Okay, I, I really genuinely can buzz that. Because okay. that's not what the meta-analysis shows. Well, they might be wrong. Uh, they, they, well, they might be, but they did a meta-analysis, and you sat here and drank a beer and, and uh, You know what? I, maybe if we went one-on-one, -on -one, I'm, I'm, I'm right. confident. <laughs> We're going to get these guys on here. We're going one-on-one. -on -one. All right, so I think this is really interesting. The supply side, skilled workers and knowledge, is definitely predictive of driving innovation. Makes sense. I mean, that's the whole argument. If I can get skilled workers in my industry, I can get totally knowledge agree. spillovers. The demand side, lots of customers, actually, agglomeration, both supply and demand has no impact on financial performance. I think that's fascinating, because we always think there's That blows me away, actually. I know, me too. I'm kind of surprised by this one. I mean, I'm, I'm trusting in the study. From what I can tell, these studies were very well done. Boy, I that rubs me the really wrong way, Jeff. Actually. Okay, okay, that's fine. That's fine. That's why That's why. Yeah, we no, this is interesting. This. Wait, I want to talk about this for a second. Do you I mean, buy that? I don't have any reason to doubt the study, and they did, I mean, they took together all these studies and put them together. That one I'd like to learn more. Okay, so we'll look at that one. Yep. Hey, maybe we'll get these folks on and do yeah. this next time. I'm sure. I mean, that'd be great, actually. Because I think this actually, that relates all to these studies are well done. This one's the most interesting because it's kind of like a surprise to me. Yep. And here's even more interesting. This one I understand. Agglomeration actually has a negative impact on growth. I buy that. I actually do too, but I'm looking at it in a different way. Let's just use the Boulder food scene okay. as an example, sure. right? That's what we're both familiar with. Yeah, so agglomeration in our town, right, of, of those types of businesses. Absolutely. And and I would say that the VC world looks at these folks that you need 100% growth a year yeah. to be investable. At least. Right. But I, I wonder 
what poaching happens, right? If you get similar businesses, I'm a little bit confused on, on how to, to articulate this, but I, I am a little bit confused on that finding, truthfully. Well, it's, it's surprising. Uh, I think I understand the negative impact on growth. So let's say you and I start Brad and Jeff's Organic Brewing Supplies. Okay. And we move here to Boulder, right? Now, on the plus side, we can get people that are very familiar with organic certification. We can get workers who are going to be passionate about the organic foods industry, as evidenced by our 20-some-odd episodes of the podcast. We get people passionate about beer. Season 3. Season 3, Episode 2 here of Creative Distillation, brought to you by the Deming Center for Entrepreneurship at the Leeds School yes. of Business at the University of Colorado Boulder. And we got one more actionable insight coming up. I hope it hasn't been 20 minutes. We're on, we're on a clock here. But here's the problem. Because we moved to Boulder, we are competing for those resources with all these other startups yeah. that are also looking to target those same people. And people are focusing resources into the most promising bets here in town. Yeah. So we're not the most promising bet, because I can tell you right now, organic brewing supplies is not going to compete with the next Justin Nut Butters, like, that's you know, right. packaged right. consumer goods that's targeting people. People that are making beer are not necessarily thinking about their health. They're just obvious. Let me counter, though. Okay, sure. Early adopters, right? You're looking for the early adopter scene. I think that when you talk about consumers that expect new products to come out, yeah. they're, they're willing to try. Yeah. So I, I, I do think that it may give you an edge in that respect. Yeah, but not according to this study. Uh, do you see my point, though, about, about yeah, in a no, sense, a sophisticated no, but, buyer? But do you think it really matters? I do, actually. Really? Like, yes. You think, I mean, like, yeah, because I, if I, we're selling that product, we're not going to be just selling it locally. I mean, No, but you need to get that feedback loop early, and you can get it that way. And yeah, other, other places, it's much more I difficult. I see that. I mean, I think here in town, when I think about that, I think about, like, getting into local, like, food stores and things like that and going to farmer's markets and all those kinds of things. That, that could be really helpful. Yeah, that, that um, early feedback is critical. Yeah, I agree. Okay, here we go. Uh, actionable insight. Somebody's at the door. Yeah, no, that's the actionable oh. insight coming in the door oh. to, like, you know, let you know it's here. Come on, man. So according to this, it would say young ventures in high tech benefit more from agglomeration than those that are not. I think that, I mean, that's what we would take from this paper. Brad doesn't quite buy it, but yeah, fair enough. You know, that's, that's the insight you could take from this, you know. And I, I could definitely see there being a tendency. I see this in my own research. I'm not going to talk about it specifically for, well, I guess I am talking about it, for businesses who want to agglomerate with people that have this similar like kind of moral right. code and things like that. I don't think that's helpful. What, what about, a, if you talk about agglomeration and high tech though, you're talking about that's a funding hub as well. So that also may be a little bit different, right? So you're it talking be, customers. But they but, measure specifically the, the skilled workers and knowledge here as the driver and that's the one they find the statistically okay. significant relationship. For. All right, well, we'll agree to good, right. disagree. Well, that's fair enough. Question number five, our last question. Oh, no. This is actually very applicable in your class. Okay. Uh, what is more important for entrepreneurs for idea generation? So not, not for financial success, just generating ideas. Didn't we talk about this in a previous podcast? I don't remember. But yeah. Probably. Weed. We did? What? Weed. 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 Marijuana. So, uh, no, we did, but this, this study was not about weed. General human capital, in other words, just education level, or specific human capital, experience and knowledge of a specific area. Yeah, I would say B. You'd say B? Yes. <laughs> okay. No, that's wrong, Brad, okay. I'm afraid. It's both. Ha <laughs> uh, ha! I, uh, I, I don't buy it again. Yeah, I no. got a bitch with these guys. Uh, okay, okay. But <laughs> this actually, is a special paper? I'd like to see an unspecial okay, paper. Okay, okay. <laughs> Come on now. No, no, this is what's interesting here. Okay, so they both actually are important for generating ideas. Okay. But specific human capital is the only part that matters for them actually forming the belief that the idea is viable. Okay, so maybe I get a I get a fifty percent. So that. you know, I, yeah, yeah, you get fifty percent. I'm just screwing around yeah, with my no, buzzer. It's all good. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't I, have an so, actionable insight there. <laughs> no, I do. I actually think. Right, it, great. Wait, so okay, you think you, you do the actionable insight? Eric. So the insight is uh, when you're talking about a very technical, specific issue, problem solve that actually makes total sense. That you need the expertise of the people that are brilliant in their lanes to help solve the problem. But you also need uh, more generalists to allowing a capable execution. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. I, I think it makes sense, like, okay, so if you're, I think the real action insight I take here is like, yes, 
getting an education is useful. Oh, yes. Like it's, uh, Hello. Despite the efforts of many in our country, uh, <laughs> going to college and getting a degree is useful in Very your life. Very useful. And it educates you to see opportunities that you might not see otherwise. Right. You're exposed to other ideas but, but, and all that good stuff. But I would say specifically, a liberal arts education is very useful. Yeah, I would say that too, even though we both uh, are working in a business school. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think we agree 100%. Yep. Like, you know, getting a broad education is really important. But to figure out if your idea is actually going to work, you need to get some very specific knowledge of that yes, area. Yes, yes. So this is why I think it's so important. And, and we, we don't talk about this in theoretical terms, but. I think it's important that entrepreneurs think about doing things in spaces they know something about. Yeah. Hello. We see. Right. Yeah, no, I know, but <laughs> right. But like, how many how many people do you see? Like, Brad, let me tell you about my great idea. It's oh, fantastic. God. And Every like, day. Yeah, and you're like, that's a great idea for Google. Yeah. It's a terrible idea for that's, you. That's right. If we're talking to someone about about like the idea we were just talking about, and both of us like drinking beer, and we're going to start our our brewing supply company. <laughs> So what? Yeah, right? Well, yeah, it, I, mean, it's like, it's I, like, I like watching hockey, so I'm going to invent better hockey equipment. It's like, no, that yeah. doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. you got to actually know something about it. All right, Brad. So I, would, right, say, I would say you were at least three and a half for five. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe two for five. I don't know. Um, something like that. I, I, I think I'm six for five, Jeff. I think, yeah, I think you are. I think you, I think you blew the <laughs> ass end out this test, as they say. Uh, but I appreciate the test. And I haven't had a test in a long time, so this felt good. Oh, I hope you had fun. I thought it would be it a was fun great. way of it. It was great. So, uh, again, if you enjoyed our pop quiz and you want to check out the paper for yourself, which I do highly recommend, check out the introduction. We're going to be having the authors of paper number four on here, which I won't look up right now because we're already running over time, I'm sure. Uh, but the, the paper and the special issue is Strategic Entrepreneurship Journal, Entrepreneurship at a Crossroads, Meta-Analysis as a Foundation and Path Forward. The summary article we reviewed by James Combs, Russell Cook, Dave Ketchin, and Mike Wright. So, uh, awesome, So man. thanks, fellas. Jeff? Man. Oh, you drank your Oktoberfest. I'm I still working it. on mine. This was fantastic. I Thank you it. so much, Turn to the Sun. Thank Please. you very much to Matt Rowley for having us here. It's been fantastic. Thanks to our producer, Joel, as always. Thanks to the Deming Center for Entrepreneurship yeah. for bringing us to you. Please write to us at cdpodcast at colorado.edu. And uh, if you want to help us out, just like the podcast. Click the little button wherever you're listening to the podcast. Yeah. It doesn't take long. Click the little like button. And if you really want to help us out with this very special edition of Screen Distillation, then what you need to do is you need to write a review. And it could it could be as short as, man, Jeff is so smart and Brad is just so annoying. Why don't we just have a <laughs> podcast with Jeff? That would be a great review to write. And I would also add, Jeff, if people would actually like us to answer a question on the yeah, podcast, no, seriously, we will be uh, shoot us an email. It'd, yeah. be, it'd be fun. And heck, we're more than happy if you're uh, in the area or we can come to you. We're more than happy to have you on the podcast if you're interested. It'd be, yep. it'd be great to have you. All right. Yeah. Cheers, Brad. Cheers, man. Take care. Great it's been fun. You. All right. Make sure you come and visit Under the Sun.